If you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do tonight, we're at church. Um, We're going to open to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And my young people know, I mean, we spent, I don't even know how many months in Ephesians, but we're going back there tonight. I just couldn't let go, guys. I couldn't let go. But we're going to be in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 tonight. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. And I'll, I'll read the verses to start off, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll jump right into things. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this night, God. We thank you, God, for your scriptures, God. The word says that your Bible, your scriptures is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Holy Spirit, illuminate your word to us tonight, to to your church, God, to your saints, as Paul calls us, God, to your sons, to your daughters who are sitting in the pews tonight, God. Have your way in the service and may Jesus, the name above all names, be exalted and get all the glory tonight. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 So before we jump in, I got to give context. I'm so used to giving context now to books of the Bible that we're in. So we're going to do that before we jump into verses 1 and 2. So this particular letter to the Ephesian believers back in Ephesus It's kind of split up into two different parts, if you will. The first three chapters deal more with who we are in Christ, like our position in Christ, all the spiritual blessings that God has blessed us with in Christ. And then the latter half, chapters four through six, deals more with how we are to live in Christ, like how we are to walk, as the Apostle Paul puts it, how we are to live this life what kind of lifestyle we're to have as Christians, as believers. Now, the the believers that that Paul was writing to, he was writing back to this church that he had started five years prior. Okay, so this is a baby church. These are baby Christians, if you will. This church has only been established for five years. And he's writing back to these believers in this city that wasn't wasn't known as a a God-loving city. It was... It was actually a godless city. This city of Ephesus was a city that had a lot of achievement, known for a lot of success. Um, it was a major port city at that time, and that was, a, that was a big deal back then. Population estimates ranged from anywhere from 50 to 250,000 people. So there were a lot of people in this city. That might not seem like a lot of people now, but back in that day, it was a big population. Think of like a New York City, a modern New York City today. This is the kind of city that we're dealing with. And so this city was a city of commerce. It was just a hub of so many intersections in that area and trading and all sorts of things went on in the city. It was just always moving. Stuff was always happening in this city. But with that, there was so many different kinds of people from all walks of life in this city as well. And with that, so many different religions as well. So there were so many different gods and and goddesses that these people would worship in in idolatry. They even had small idols that they would make of this this main um, Roman goddess that they worshiped. 
um, in Ephesus. So much so that they even built this massive temple that ranged from like one and a half to three football field sizes, okay? For you cowboy fans to kind of put it in perspective, okay? So this was a massive temple where they would go and commit idolatry here and worship these false gods. And even more than that, they, they, they got into the magics and this witchcraft and all sorts of evil was going down in this city. This city was even dubbed Satan's headquarters by some, right? You say, like, where are you from? I'm from the Alamo City, San Antonio, Texas. If you were to ask them, they're like, where are you from? I'm from Ephesus, Satan's headquarters, right? I'm scratching that off the list already to go visit, right? I'm not visiting that place, okay? No, thank you. But we see God do a mighty, mighty work in this place through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And it says in that entire region, they ended up hearing the gospel. Luke writes, the author of Acts, he says that there was a major disturbance about the way in Acts 19, verses 22 and 23, that these Christians were turning the world upside down for Jesus. Wow, so God was just moving mightily in this godless city. And so we're going to kind of skip a lot of these details and we're going to kind of jump right into chapter five where we're at, where it says here in verse one, therefore. Now, I've grown up in Destiny Church and I've grown up hearing Pastor Matt say, when you see the word therefore, you stop and see why that word is therefore, okay? You stop and see why that word is therefore. So up to this point, he has reminded these believers back in this city of Ephesus of who they are in Christ, of all that they have in terms of spiritual blessings in Christ. He's telling them that they're no longer part of the world, that they've been called out of the world. He said to put off your old self, which belongs to the former way of life, which is corrupted through deceitful desires, renewed in the spirit of our minds, and putting on this new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He's been speaking the truth about how we are to live as Christians. He's been, he's been hitting these uh, Ephesian believers with the truth, the straight up truth. How we need to continue to mature in this walk with Jesus, this daily walk. And how many would, uh, of us would agree that we need that too today, right? Like I look at my daughter, six years old, I cannot believe it, that time has flown by, but she's not gonna always stay at six years old, right? I don't want her staying at six years old, right? And intelligence and any of that. No, I wanna see her grow and I wanna see her mature. Same thing in our walk with Jesus. We wanna continue to grow and continue to mature in our walk with Christ. Paul ends, up, ends off chapter four, verse 32, which is the verse prior to verse one in Chapter five saying, be kind to one another, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And he says, in light of all these things we've talked about, in light of everything I've reminded you about your identity in Christ, he says, therefore be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Now that original word here in the Greek is literally the word where we get in our English language mimic literally mimic, uh, imitate God as beloved children. Through Jesus Christ, God has given us this right to become children of God. We are sons and daughters adopted into his family, as Paul says earlier in Ephesians. 
but it says to imitate God as beloved children. How many of us have kids in here tonight? Mine are in here tonight too. Has anybody, or am I just the only one? Are my kids just the only ones that do this? How many of you, y'all's kids imitate you at some point in life at least, okay? Mine are little. I have a, a 16-month-old and I have a six-year-old who still does it. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but she still does it. But in general, kids imitate their parents. They do. They, it's something that comes instinctively. They naturally do this. They pick up the good things and they pick up the bad things. They just do this thing. They copy their actions and they copy our behaviors. So if you're a parent in here tonight, hopefully you're, you're trying to live this out and imitate God because your kids are watching you, okay? Your kids are looking up to you. They're, they're, they're watching you. And on many occasions, I can relate to this. I can remember Mia when she was so much younger just going in and putting on my, my wife's shoes when we enter our threshold of our home, we, we put our shoes there uh, before we walk in, and Mia's like putting her leg in these shoes, and the shoe's bigger than her leg, you know, and she's trying to maneuver in these things, like falling over, and just trying to say, shoes, shoes, mommy, shoes, just imitating mom, and, and Haley's at that stage right now as a 16-month-old, she's doing exactly the same thing, she, she's, she's even going further, she's copying phrases, she's playing peekaboo, because I play peekaboo with her, She's copying reactions. She's literally mimicking or imitating me and my wife. The fact is, kids do this. They imitate their parents. We've heard the phrase, like, father, like, son. Have we heard this before? We've heard this phrase before. But here, specifically in our passage, here it's talking about someone who is imitating, someone who is mimicking not just general patterns, but someone who is copying specific characteristics, specific characteristics. So this entire Christian life, you could sum it up like this in one statement. You could say, be imitators of God. Be mimics of God. Imitate your heavenly Father. We are to reproduce in in us everything that is true of God. It's all over Scripture. If you look in the Gospel accounts, Um, which we're actually in Matthew here on Sundays, and we're actually going through Mark on Wednesday nights, just a plug-in there for Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. But in Matthew 5, it says, Jesus says, Therefore, you be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In Luke chapter 6, it says, As your Father in heaven is merciful, you be merciful. Again, in 1 John 4, it says, As he is loving, you also be loving. Peter puts it this way in in 1 Peter 1. He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. And in in case you think this is just like New Testament principles, here in in, uh, 1 Peter, he's actually quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Leviticus. He says, you shall be holy for I am holy. God calls us to be holy as well. Peter says, Be like God. Paul says, gaze into the glory of the Lord and allow the Spirit of God to change you into his image. And that's what the ultimate goal of the Christian life is. It's as John puts it in 1 John, that one day when he appears, that we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That we Christians shall be like our Heavenly Father. 
So in other words, be these imitators of God. Well, how can I do this? Like, how can I actually imitate God if I don't really know him that well? How can I do this if I never spend time in his word? If I, if I don't really know much about God? Well, the truth is, the more that you know about God, the more that you know him, the more that you know what you're supposed to be like. That goes for anything. If you know something more in depth, you, you, you know what the expectations are. You know how to be like it. Same thing here. If we know God, if we spend time more with God, then we know what we're supposed to be like. So our primary pursuit as believers should be to know God, to know him more. And it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul, our author of our letter here, he says that I may know him. So it makes sense that if we are to be like God, that we must know what God is like, right? That makes sense. If we are to know what God is like, we've got to be in his word. We've got to be studying God's character. It's right here in the scriptures. We have to be in our Bibles. I'm all about that. So I, I always bring that up some way, somehow. We've got to be studying his word. We've got to be in the scriptures and pray that the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. We must know God to imitate him. When I was younger, my twin brother who's in the building, um, so if you see another guy who's like physically fit, not unlike his brother up here, um, that looks like me, that's my, my twin brother, yeah. But uh, when we were younger, we would imitate our uncle a lot, my mom's brother. I mean, he, this man, he loves the Lord with all his heart. He really does. And, and from a young age, I can remember him just getting these VHS tapes. Some of you kids now don't even know what that is. It makes me feel old. Um, but he would get these Bible cartoon VHS tapes and, and show it to us when he lived with us in our house. You know, mind you, my dad, who didn't believe in this at all, he didn't want to see anything having to do with the Word of God. He's doing this in the other room, and me and my brother are watching this and just soaking it all in. And he's reading scripture to us, praying with us, um, taking us to his church and us watching him do ministry. We just, we just were affected positively from a young age for the Lord. And, and he loved basketball too, so we picked that up from him as well. So um, go figure. But we wanted to be like him. I wanted to be like him. And even as an adult, I still conversate with him and would still catch up with him to get his opinion on different things, even ministry-related things. But it wasn't, it wasn't hard for me to, to want to be like him. There's this part as beloved children, that word beloved, that means that we've been loved by God. If you're a Christian today, I'm just side note, you are beloved by God. He loves you. And for, for children who've been loved by their, by their parents, who've had this love poured into their hearts, it is not hard for them to imitate their parents. It wasn't hard for me to do it when this father figure in my life would pour this love and spend the time with us. It wasn't hard for me to want to be like him. It's not a stretch for me to say that I wanted to be like him because I saw this example of this loving, godly, fatherly figure. I wanted to love and talk like him. I wanted to do what he did and picked up his tendencies. So it's not hard for children who've been loved, who've seen this great example in their lives of what this looks like. It, it just overflows and it just comes naturally. That's what happens in my household with my two daughters. They just naturally, from the love that we pour into them, me and my wife, they naturally just want to imitate what we do, just copying what we do. 
and they just do this thing instinctively. I thought that was her. I was like, oh, she's saying amen. But my daughter's imitation, my daughter Haley, her imitation of her mom, for example, it isn't perfect. I guarantee you that. It is not perfect. And actually, she acts more like me, especially when, when she doesn't get away. So pray for me on that. But it isn't perfect. It isn't spot on. Even my, my, my six-year-old Mia, who's more mature, her, her imitation isn't spot on as well. It's not, it's not perfect at all. But they do this because they, they want to be like their mom. They want to be like their parents. We've poured love into them, and, and they want to be like us because we've loved them, and that just kind of overflows. Now, for us, is our imitation, if we follow this to be imitators of God, is that going to be perfect? No. Do we have any perfect people in the audience? No, I didn't, I didn't think so. Okay, we got some honest people in the audience. Okay. Nobody's perfect. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be spot on, and our Heavenly Father knows that. He knows that. We're not going to be reflecting him perfectly as, as image bearers of God. We're going to miss the mark. We're going we're gonna to mess up. But, but this begins to get better as we're plugged into godly relationships, as we're in God's word, as we're in prayer, as we're in Bible studies, as we're in KBI, as we're plugged into church, as we're coming consistently, sitting under the preaching of God's word. The Bible says that God, through his Holy Spirit, that he's poured out his love into our hearts. He says this in Romans so us as beloved children, if you are a Christian today, we can do this thing. We can imitate our heavenly father. Now, I do want to say side note. We can't imitate him in everything. We can't make something out of nothing, okay? We can't be everywhere at once. We're not all-knowing. Just don't ask a toddler that because they'll refute that, okay? We're not, okay? So we can't imitate him in everything. But we can imitate his character. Ephesians 4.24 says... You put on the new self, the one it created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Is this thing possible? Yes, but you first must start with a broken and contrite spirit, mourning over your sin, having this overwhelming sense of, of your sin and having this hunger and this thirst for righteousness. You realize really quickly that you can't do this thing on your own. And that's the point. You're trying to be like God, but you cannot do that on your own. You need some power, some outside power to be able to make this thing possible. Because it's easy to say be imitators of, of God, but it's a really tough thing to be able to actually do that thing. Because it's only possible if you are saved. It's only possible if you are a Christian. Second Peter 1.4 says that when we were regenerated, that you have become a partaker of the divine nature. That we can be like God because God lives in you. That we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us to help us. We can't do this thing on our own. How many people need help out there to live this Christian life? I do. I'll be the first one to raise my hand on that. And thank God he sends us his own spirit to help us live this life out. It says in Ephesians 3.16, the Holy Spirit who strengthens us with might in the inner man. And the result of that is that you would be filled with all the fullness of God, Paul says. 
He's saying you can be like God. You can be filled with this fullness of God, but you can't do this thing on, on your own. It's the spirit at work inside of you, not your own. So we're dependent upon his working in our lives. And you can be assured today, if you are a Christian today sitting here tonight, that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, at work in you tonight. And he's moving us, conforming us, making us into the image, into the likeness, more and more into the likeness of God. So the Apostle Paul, he talks a lot about walking in this, in this letter to, to the Ephesian believers. This walking, this lifestyle is what he's saying. This practice of who we are and how we are to live our lives. And he talks about this worthy walk. And that worthy walk involved a walk in humility, a walk in unity as believers, a walk that looks different than the way the world lives, than the way the world walks. And then we get here in, in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, to this love walk. At the heart of all of this is love. At the center of all of this is love. Our, our position in God is predicated on his love. So if, if God is a God of love, and if this is true, then we better be marked as Christians, as people who love. We better be marked as people who walk in love. This better be a characteristic of our lives. Our Bible tells us that love is the key to everything. In Colossians 3.14, it says, above all these things, and he had listed all these wonderful things in God. He says, above them all, though, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He says, above all these things, put on love. Paul is telling us, he's pleading with us to live, to walk out, to live this lifestyle of love. And, and just in case you think this is a suggestion, it's not, this is a commandment, okay? He's commanding us to be imitators of God. And, and no matter how difficult or, you know, how far off this might seem to you to be, it doesn't change the fact that he has commanded us to, to live this way. And he gives us this perfect example to look to. Does he give us this example of, of a modern-day preacher? No. Does he give us this example of this modern-day evangelist going around? No. He gave us the example of Christ. He said, look to Jesus as the perfect example to do this. In 1 John 2, it says, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Verse 6 of, of that chapter says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, referring to Jesus, in which he walked. That we Christians are to walk the same way as Christ walked, imitating Christ, imitating God. And Paul is fixing our eyes. He's directing our eyes to the cross. He's directing in our eyes to the Son of God. He's painting this picture for us of the gospel, of Jesus' sacrificial love on the cross. He says, therefore, love as beloved children and walk in love. How do we do this? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We saw all the, yeah, amen. We saw all these things at the end of chapter four, Paul listing all these things that, that aren't love, this bitterness, this wrath, this anger, slander and malice, all these things that are opposite of love. 
He says all these things show that there are no love. If you're, if you're bitter towards somebody, you're, you're holding a, a grudge against somebody, you just can't let it go, right? Just something, even something so minor. I've seen people hold grudges for the smallest of things. He's saying, let these things go. Even if it's gossip behind your back, let it go. All those things are, are, are opposite of what Paul's talking about here. He's saying those things shouldn't be there anymore. It should be kindness. Our life should be marked with tenderness and love here. One of the biggest characteristics of it, he says in verse 32, is forgiveness. Can I get an amen? amen. A love that forgives. At the end of uh, Matthew chapter 18, and Jesus tells this parable of this king who had this, who was owed this massive, just massive debt. This debt that couldn't be covered. It could not be covered uh, from this guy. And this guy comes in and he's like, hey, you owe this much money. And the guy's just like, I cannot, there's no way I can pay this debt. So he's on his knees, he's pleading with this king and this king forgives him of this, this, this massive debt, this debt that could never have been covered anyway. Well, that same forgiven man who had been, been forgiven so much, he goes out into the town and finds somebody who owed him something so minor, something so small in comparison to the debt that he just got forgiven. And he holds him and he says, no, you're going to pay me every last penny. You're going to pay me every last cent. And he ends up throwing that guy in jail because he wasn't able to pay. Well, the king gets word of it and he brings him back in. He's like, how could you not forgive him of so little when I forgave you of so much? It's a lack of forgiveness that produces things like bitterness. It's this inability to forgive that, that causes this anger and this, and this wrath to kind of just linger in your life. Talking behind people's back, if you don't forgive them, you hold grudges. It's this lack of forgiveness that shows that you don't love them. That is not showing biblical love. Paul's saying, put away all of these things. Put away all of these enemies of love. Don't let these be characteristics of your life as sons and daughters of God. Don't have characteristics of an unloving heart, but have characteristics of a loving heart. Amen? Now in verse 32, when he's talking about love, he doesn't explicitly say love at the end of chapter 34, but the way letters were written back in the olden days, as my kids would say, um, it was continuous. It wasn't like these subdividing chapters. It was just this flow. So the flow of in kindness and tenderness and forgiveness, it flows into this, therefore, imitate God walking in love. So this is all flowing together. And they would have got that back in their context, back in biblical times. But when you think about your love today, think about your forgiveness like you think about your depth of your love, think about the depth of your forgiveness and measure it by that. It's like, how do I know if I'm loving? Well, are you forgiving? How deep is your forgiveness in your life? We saw that God so loved the world that he took a bunch of just dirty, sinless, rotten, re rebellious sinners. And the Bible says, while we were still yet sinners, he died for us. That's the type of love he displayed to us. That's the type of love he showed us. And, and we're holding on to something that somebody took our seat two, day, two Sundays in a row and we can't forgive them of that. It's ridiculous. We can't forgive them of so little when we've been forgiven of so much. This, 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 
manifestation of God's love in this forgiveness? Think about your ability to forgive and then, and then look at your ability to love with that in mind. God saved us and he sent Jesus to the cross to die on behalf of our sins because of his great love with which he loved us. 1 John 1.4 says that if you don't love, you're not of God. So if you don't have this kind of godly love, then you are not of God, it says. You're not of God. So ask yourself, think about the things in your life, these grudges, maybe bitterness, whatever you're holding on to. Bring it to the cross and ask God to forgive you of that unforgiving heart and, and be a forgiving person. Ask him to, for his love to just flow through you and to be a forgiving man or woman of God who forgives much. Now think about in the context of the family of believers. Do people sometimes wrong us even within the Christian community? Yeah, it happens. It happens. But think about this. God has already paid for that sin. That sin that they did to you, God has already paid for that sin. He's already dealt with that very sin. He's already bored that sin on the cross that was committed against you in his body on the cross at Calvary. Let God take care of that thing. You forgive. You extend forgiveness to that person who's wronged you. Take it to the cross. You forgive them. God has already dealt with that sin. You don't have to take it in your, your own hands and be vengeful and try to get even with this person. You don't have to do that. Proverbs 10, 12 says that love covers all sins. The total love is total forgiveness. Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We're to have this, this, this stretched out to the max, this like stretched out to the, to the limits type of love. That's the type of love. That's the type of forgiveness we are to have. I always think of, when I think of the topic of forgiveness, Peter, when, when they're on this topic of forgiveness, when him and Jesus and the disciples are there, he's trying to impress Jesus and he's like, forgive him seven times, Lord. Thinking, you know, like that's it, right? Seven times, the number of completion. There it is, boom. And Jesus comes back and says, 70 times seven. Basically to always be forgiving, to have a love that's always continuously forgiving. God knows that if you're gonna love, you're gonna have to let people off the hook. You're going to have to be able to forgive them. That sin is going to have to be dealt with. But when you think about your love, you think about your ability to forgive, the depth of your forgiveness. But also think about if you know how much you've been forgiven. Do you know how much you've truly been forgiven as a Christian? How much we've truly been forgiven as sinners who could not change our, our sin a condition, we couldn't do anything about it when God saved us. How much we've been forgiven already. Do you know how much you've been truly forgiven? In Luke 7, there's this parable. Jesus is in this house of this religious leader, this Pharisee. And this, this sinner, this sinful woman comes in and she's just like, from the, from the point she's in there, she's just crying and, and anointing 
uh, with oil the feet of Jesus. She's just weeping at his feet, just using her hair, and just the scene of just humility and just at the feet of Jesus. And this Pharisee and his, and his blindness and his self-righteousness is just like thinking to himself like, if this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is that is at his feet. And, and then Jesus, knowing this, he, he, he says, let me tell you a parable. He says in verse 41 of Luke 7, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One of them owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. Verse 42, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? This Pharisee, Simon, he answered, he's like, well, the, the one I suppose from whom he canceled the larger debt. That makes sense. And he said, you've judged rightly, Simon. Then turning to the woman, Jesus said to this, to this woman, he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with, with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So you see this ability to love also hinges on this, this, this how deeply your sense of the love of God is, the ability to forgive somebody else is dependent on how much you have known, how much you've been forgiven already. This self-righteous Pharisee was just blinded to the fact that he was even a sinner. He thought he was right in the standing of God. He thought he was right in God's eyes, so prideful and self-righteous that he didn't even think he was a sinner who needed a savior. He should have been at the feet of Jesus asking for forgiveness. But in his pride, he was blinded. He didn't even know he needed this forgiveness. He was blind to the fact that he needed much, much forgiveness. But this woman knew it, and she was forgiven much, so she loved much. This is the way we are to be with one another, church. This is the type of, of love, this is the type of forgiveness it should be marked by. The, the bitterness and the anger and the wrath and all that other stuff that Paul talks about, that, that should not mark your life at all. And you will begin to, to love and, for, and, and forgive little if you've seen yourself as forgiven little. But if you've seen yourself as this broken sinner who couldn't do anything about your sin condition when God saved you by his grace, this gift of eternal life, you will be able to forgive much. When you recognize that, we have this capacity now because we have been saved, because we have God's spirit inside of us, we have this capacity now to do this, to imitate God, to love like this, to forgive like this. The spirit of God is, is sanctifying us. He's making us more into the image of Christ. 1 Corinthians 16 says it like this. It says, let all your things be done in love. And we can do this by submitting to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. We can do this, church. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. 
That's what Jesus, what statement he made about summing up the law in Mark 12. You see that word love there. Paul says in Romans 13 that the whole law is fulfilled in love. So love is central to our lives as as believers. And the greatest example of that love is the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at the world, they, they have this misconstrued definition of what love is. Have we seen that, right? There's all these false definitions of what love is. They think that love is just some feeling or love is this or love is that. But that's not what biblical love is. Biblical love is not an emotion. It's never defined that way in, in God's word. It's, it's a choice. It's an, it's an action. It's, it's a type of love that produces a result. It's, it's self-sacrificing. It's, it's giving. It's not this, I'll scratch my back if you scratch mine. No, it's not, it's not that type of thing. It's, it's this love that says, I love not for what I'm going to get out of this, I love because it is my nature to love. It's this unconditional type of love. And we see this love expressed in Christ, manifest in him giving, in him giving the ultimate sacrifice. He gave himself up for us. In John 15, it says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. It's been said that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. It's not this, just this lip service type of love. Like, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. No, it's not just in word and deed. In 1 John, I love that it says it like this. It says it in 1 John 3. It says, little children, let none of us uh, not love in word and talk, but in deed and truth. Literally, another translation says, in truth and action. That if we're going to be loving others, we have to do something about it. It's not just lip service. We have to actually do something. We actually have to be willing to forgive others, willing to actually serve others and sacrifice time and sacrifice things in our lives. Not harming them, not doing those, those things in, in chapter 4 that, don't, that are enemies of love. We've been set free from all those things. But we are to be serving Like Christ wants us to serve, we are to be sacrificing, doing something about it, doing something about it. And going back to our text here, it says that he, it says that he gave himself up for who? For us, for us, the church. But he did this unto God. He did this unto God. And 1 John, it says that your sins have been forgiven, but it's for his namesake. Your sins have been forgiven, but it's for God's glory. It's not for our glory, it's for his glory. So when we're, we're loving the, this way of, of serving others, people who aren't like us, people who, who disagree with us, people who, who sin against us, when, when we're serving people, we do it as we do it unto God. We do it as we do it unto the Lord always, giving him all the glory, making his name great, spreading the fame of his name, not our own. And this should be this natural, there should be this natural overflowing out of a heart that's been transformed by the love of God. Listen, again, we're not going to do this perfectly. We're not going to be perfect imitators of God. We're going to mess up. We're going to fall. We're going to sin. The Bible says that he who says he's without sin is a liar. We're going to mess up. 
But God shows us grace in this, even in, in this, and in living this out. And in verse 2, it says this, this ultimate sacrifice that, that Christ did for us, that he gave himself up for us on the cross, that this sacrifice was a sweet-smelling savor or a sweet-smelling aroma. I love sweet-smelling aromas, especially when we're barbecuing and grilling, okay? I love those kind of smells. Can I get an amen for that? Come on. This sacrifice was a pleasing smell, a pleasing aroma to God, this finished work of Christ. In the Old Testament, pleasing aroma was this description of, of an offering that was accepted, was an accepted sacrifice from God, from a sincere and wholehearted worshiper. This, this perfect sacrifice that Christ gave for himself, offering himself up was the ultimate acceptable sacrifice. It was the most pleasing aroma, the, the greatest sacrifice of all time. It was the perfect once and for all sacrifice. And it was a sweet smelling aroma to God. It was a sweet smelling aroma to God. Philippians 4.18, this is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He was well pleased. I pray that our aim as believers is to live lives that in a sense would be a sweet-smelling aroma to God, that we would live lives that are marked by this love that is giving, this love that is forgiving, this love that is sacrificial, not just in word, but in action and deed, this unconditional love that gives and serves and forgives over and over again. God wasn't just satisfied with saving us. No, he wants us to come to a place where we're imitating God, especially in this love, and that we're growing in our faith. We're maturing in our faith. Then we see these grudges start to dissipate. This bitterness starts to fade away. The, the anger that you once had starts to subside. And this begins to mark your life and describe your life. I pray that that would be our lives as Christians, especially as Christians here in Destiny Church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we, we thank you first and foremost, God, for the cross, the ultimate sacrifice, God. We look unto the cross continuously, God, because without that, God, we wouldn't be able to serve you. We wouldn't be able to be imitators of you. We wouldn't be able to have a relationship with you, Lord. But because of your grace and your mercy that was out of your great love for us, you've called and you've saved us, God. Sinners who didn't deserve that, God. It's by pure grace. It is a pure gift from God. I pray that every single believer here at this church, God, would continue to be formed and fashioned and conformed to the likeness of Jesus every single day more and more. That every single person would, would have that hunger and that, and that desire and that thirst for your righteousness, God. That we would want to imitate you. We want to strive to live the scriptures out, strive to live what Paul is saying here, to be an imitator of God, that would strive to actually take that to heart and live this thing out, to walk in love. I pray that our love would just be marked with 
giving and forgiving consistently, that we would be known as a people from this church that do this, that live this thing out, not just in word, but also in deed, in action. God, I pray that you bless every single believer as they enter the, the rest of this week, the beginning of, the, of this week, God, that you bless them in their coming and their going and that your spirit will continue to move in their lives. In Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. All right. <laughs>